Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you're hungry for juicy conversation, well, this show is an easy way to get your quick fix of culinary entertainment. Every weekend, we celebrate food and life by learning about the gastronomic scene around the world. You'll hear from chefs and artisan food makers, farmers, authors, experts, and tastemakers, all of whom are passionate about everything delicious. Plus, every week... I like to dish on living the best life, health and wellness, wine and cocktails, trends and more. So I hope that you will continue to tune in as I celebrate my 18th year on the radio. So blessed and so privileged to do so. I thank you for listening. I hope that you are healthy and well and wearing a mask. And if you're looking for shows you might have missed, if you're looking for additional culinary entertainment during your daily walk or run or just for some, uh, I don't know, way to satiate your ears, well, you can find podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with my daily dish at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. This hour, we're offering you wisdom from the pros. Yes, I am delighted to tell you that the great chef Dan Kluger is here. And if you want to up your cooking game, this guy is a culinary rock star. He wrote what I feel like is a tell-all, really, sharing his recipes and his techniques and his food philosophy in what has been a very much highly anticipated debut cookbook. It's called Chasing Flavor. And the guy's just a genius. So stay tuned because you will not want to miss the delicious conversation. Also, my friend, the modern mixologist, Tony Abu Ghanem is dropping by Because there is no doubt that as this pandemic continues, we are safer at home, can certainly use a really good cocktail, don't you think? So he's talking about some of the best cocktails and how to mix them at home, how to up your bar game, really, and how to host a virtual cocktail party so that you can still celebrate the good times, of course. So grab a glass and stay tuned because Tony will be here and he's mixing it up. But first, let's get this party started, shall we? I like to kick off the show with a technique or uh, an instruction, a chef's inspiration, really. And I've been reading cookbooks, as always, but maybe a bit more so while COVID's safe at home with my son, my baby boy. And I keep finding these little nuggets of lessons strewn throughout the pages, And I think the tips and the tricks that I've gained over the past, what, 10 months now, have expanded my culinary repertoire and made me a better chef. And it's a testament to the talent of my comrades and the really extraordinary chefs across this country that lend their voice to this show, that write cookbooks, that blog, that post. And so I want to pay it forward. And I'm committed 
this 18th year of radio to continue to share with you all of the exceptionally scrumptious things I find along the way. Now, these tidbits of inspiration, this insight that I love to pass along. Sometimes it's strewn throughout the show during an interview. Maybe you'll find it at the end of the hour during my last bite, but this one was too good to wait to share. So there's a new cookbook just released. It's called Falestin, and it shares many favorite Palestinian dishes. It's really well done, and I'm hopeful to have the authors on the show to share it with you. Well, in the book, they dig deep into ada. From what I understand, I'm pronouncing it properly. It's a toasty, garlicky topping for everything. And Epicurious, the website, wrote a lovely piece in homage of ada. So what is it, you ask? Well, it's the final touch before a meal. It adds flavor and texture and crunch and umami, and it is so good. And you really don't know what you're missing until you start putting it on everything, which is what I've been doing. Now, ada is toasted garlic, and I've always loved toasted garlic. In fact, I thinly slice garlic cloves and toast them in a pan with olive oil for a broccoli salad that finishes with actually a splash of sesame oil uh, and red wine vinegar, and I love it. I actually use toasted garlic as the start to a very good roasted tomato sauce, but I've never used it as a garnish as generously as they do in the Middle Eastern application. And you can add other flavorings depending upon the region, I understand. Some add green chilies or basil or dill. Some add whole coriander or cumin seeds to flavor the oil because the oil draws out the aroma of whatever is in the pan, right? But no matter what you add, it is all about the crunchy, fragrant garlic. Now, this toasted garlic elevates the dish that it's sprinkled over in many ways. It gives texture. It adds appearance, of course, and it really does boost flavor. And I like to thinly slice the garlic. Some do chop it, um, but it is a welcome crunch no matter how you cut it, pun intended. Now... Typically, a da is sprinkled or poured over dishes that are otherwise soft and comforting. And sometimes the oil in which the garlic was toasted in is used. And sometimes the garlic is just used almost like think of a crouton. So it's not a complicated process or method, but it does require a little bit of focus. So because garlic has a high natural sugar content, it burns easily, right? And there's nothing worse than burnt garlic or a few things I should say. So what you do is you make the ada by taking thinly sliced garlic cloves, like four or five of them, and about a quarter cup of a neutral oil. You can use olive oil. Grapeseed is great here too, depending upon what you're planning to use the oil for an application post the toasting. And you place the garlic thinly sliced with the oil in a cold saute pan over medium heat. And it comes up to temperature with the heat of your stove, right? The oil and the garlic come up to temp together. And you cook it until the garlic is lightly golden. You have to keep stirring, by the way. You don't want to leave the stove because you'll only be there for a few minutes, three or four, and you'll regret if you walk away. Now, you remove the pan from the heat when the garlic is just golden brown, and it continues to cook in the residual heat of the oil. But you use a slotted 
good spoon to take the garlic out. And I like to put it on a, a paper towel lined plate or even a paper plate works here. And they crispen up as they sit, of course. You can always return them to the oil if you've infused it with flavor once the oil is cool and then you can use it all combined. But I like to make like a quadruple batch, preferably like 14 times, because the toasted garlic, if you keep it from the oil, if you don't add it back, it stays really well in a, in a zipper bag or an airtight container. And it's nice to have around for a few days to sprinkle over everything. As I mentioned, uh, you can fantastically sprinkle it over a bowl of soup, like lentil soup to up your game or a nice hearty stew. You could use it as a crouton in a salad if you wanted. You could finish tomato sauce with it over pasta, but it adds so much flavor to almost every dish. It is also used, and I think this is genius, to spruce up a dish that's been prepared well in advance. And in the Middle Eastern style, long, slow cooking, right, means you have to start early. But this makes me think of leftovers. So rather than bringing leftovers to the table in a kitchen with no good smells, because you didn't cook tonight, let's say, it's really lovely to toast the ada, the toasted garlic thinly sliced, and it gives the dish a new lease on life, right? Because you've made the kitchen smell delicious. You let the garlic cool a bit. You have toasted garlic, crispy and crunchy and full of flavor on top of uh, a reheated meal. And it's really, truly like you have a whole meal full of promise repeated. (laughs) It's so simple, but it's so good. And that, ta-da, is Ada. I have to tell you, it's my new favorite thing, and I'm so thrilled to share it. All right, as promised, coming up, he is truly a culinary rising star. In fact, year after year after year, the experts in this country say that Chef Dan Kluger is only getting better. The James Beard award winning chef with the recently released debut cookbook we've all been waiting for, Chasing Flavor is coming up next. I'm so excited. Don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with so much more fabulous food. We'll be right back. and wine and it's divine chef jamie gwen in your radio welcome back when i say we have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show i mean it and to kick off 2021 i could not have hoped for a grander guest this chef has been lauded as one of the country's rising culinary stars for so many years in a row now, I have to tell you. Uh, his name is all the buzz, as is his debut cookbook. Dan Kluger is known for his extraordinary skill, his culinary masterpieces, his artful eye. And I'll tell you, Chasing Flavor, the book just released and already award-winning, is like a tell-all. It's techniques and recipes to cook 
fearlessly. And if you ever wanted to learn from an extraordinary talent, this is it. Chef owner of Loring Place in New York City, Dan is sharing his recipes, his techniques, his food philosophy, so that you can essentially create dishes with amazing balance, with contrasting textures. It is a lesson in mastering a recipe, and it is the secrets from an incredible talent, no doubt. So let me tell you a little bit about Dan. He's a native New Yorker. He started his career at Union Square Cafe uh, at Tabla under Danny Meyer's tutelage. He has worked for some of the finest chefs across the country, and he is a two-time James Beard Award winner. He's been seen just about everywhere. And I will say, the book is extraordinary. I wanted to lick the pages. The photos are so beautiful. But it's the content of the cookbook that allows you to dig deep. And so we are chasing flavor. And Chef Dan Kluger is here. I feel very honored to have you, Chef. Thank you. Thank you. Very honored by all your lovely words. Well, uh, well deserved. They're not they don't feel well deserved, but oh, I greatly appreciate it. You're being humble. It's true. You've been talked about as as this culinary star for a lot of years, and you continue to raise the bar. And I feel like the book is a tell-all. Like, you shared all the secrets. I've, I've read almost page by page from, from start to finish, front to back. I would love for you to try to, and I know in your introduction you talk about when you, when you serve an aioli, people ask you, what's in it? And when you describe it, they say, well, that, I could do that, right? But when they ask you your food philosophy, it's hard to put it into a sentence. Just give us an idea, if you would, as to how you see yourself as a chef. Are you always chasing flavor? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of my cooking style, um, it very much hinges on flavor and, and balance of flavor and, and texture. Um, and a lot of that I, I credit to um, certainly my time with, with Jean-Georges, but um, really, probably most importantly, my, my time with um, the late, great Floyd Cardoz, who mm. um, was a, a pioneer of Indian food in this country. Yes. Um, mm. And I, I learned a lot from him about balancing flavor and balancing textures. And I think that's something that's often missed um, by the home cook when, when we're talking about how to make something um, and, you know, I'll be at a friend's house and I'll, I'll make something for them in their kitchen um, or, you know, throw it on the grill and they'll make a comment about just how different it is than, than what they make. And it's really just about, and we've talked about it, it's just about this balance. It's about thinking about, hey, this needs some more pepper or it needs some more salt or it needs a pinch of sugar or a splash of vinegar or squeeze of lemon juice, something that just elevates the flavor. Hmm. <clears throat> and so this, this book talks a lot about the ways in which um, you can – um, you know, sort of create that flavor, the techniques that you can use for that. And then it also um, has a ton of the components that, that yes. we want you to build your pantry with, right? Yes. You, you alluded to it with the aioli, which people will come and say, like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And when we talk about the aioli, it, you know, for me early on in this book, it was this sort of aha moment of people asking me about these specific things, me realizing that, you know, people want to know this, and, and they're talking about how, it was so great with you know, the butternut squash fries, let's say, but mm. that they would love to put this on a sandwich. And mm. that's the reality is we're just helping people build a pantry that can be used in so many different ways. Yes, and I love that you use the word pantry 
uh, in general? Because you don't mean just the garbanzo beans in the cabinet. You mean, I assume, the the compounding of all of the components of the dish. And so aioli is a standard for you. It's it's always in your fridge or it's a go-to. And those are the things that you build in your repertoire when you chase flavor to create a composed dish that has, as you talk about, the sweet, sour, spicy, bitter, and the contrasting textures. Very much to what you just said and to your point. One of my favorite spreads in the book, aside from every recipe, and I did almost lick the pages, just so you know. One of my favorite spreads is at the beginning of the book, you talk about building blocks of flavor and they're listed by category. So pick a meat uh, or doughs and pastas and the condiments you could choose or the different dressings and then a pickle or preserve and then a sauce, maybe a topping, right? Add crispy onions or the fried capers. The, The simplicity of those things, but all of them together is what creates the masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, we, we um, <clears throat> certainly spend some time talking about pantry, not the garbanzo beans, but, but certainly things like um, olive oils and vinegars and, yes. and other things you can do to elevate your pantry, miso, maple syrup, mm. mustards. I mean, there's certainly things like that. But, um, yeah, the pantry to me is, is about building these things that, um, you know, it's not necessarily that you always have in, the, in your fridge, but... It's more if you're going to do the work, um, mm. and, and that's a you know big part of this is if you're going to do the work yes. to create some of these recipes, they may seem, sometimes they may seem daunting, or they may have a lot of components, but realizing that these components then become part of your pantry can be used mm. in you know, three or four different meals throughout the week. Yes. And again, it could be the aioli, it could be the vinaigrette from from the broccoli salad, which is great on the broccoli, but it's also perfect, um, you know, salad vinaigrette for something like butterhead or, or little gem lettuces. Mm. Um, it also goes great with uh, a roasted chicken breast. So mm. this idea of getting people comfortable with doing the work, and there's a payoff to doing the work because it's helping them build this pantry of things and this, this um, you know, repertoire of things that can be used to create more than one meal. And, you know, we tried to stay away from, there's a, there's a lot of books out there, I think, that, you know, will, will kind of be like, uh, here's how you make the burger. But if you don't like ground beef, you could do this with chicken. If you don't want to do a burger, you could do this with a steak. Well, you know, to me, that's a little bit getting away from what the heart of the idea of the dish was. You were doing a burger. So, you know. In, in this mm-hmm. case, what I'm saying is if there's if there's a steak and it comes with this condiment or this sauce, that sauce can be used on other things. You don't have to be, you know, hard fast about serving it with a steak. Uh, but we're not just changing the, the, the dish, essentially. We're creating this uh, repertoire of, of condiments and sauces and things. Yes. I feel like the proper response to that is, yes, chef. <laughs> <laughs> chef, this conversation is just too good. You won't go away, will you? Please stay with us when we come back more on Chasing Flavor with Chef Dan Kluger.
We're back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. One of the country's greatest culinary rising stars is here. Dan Kluger and his debut cookbook, Chasing Flavor. It's a tell-all and it is so delicious. I want to go back though for a moment um, because I certainly can't argue with butternut squash fries with lemon parmesan aioli, but you've mentioned so many components of it because I led with aioli and I had already rabbit-eared the page because I can't wait to make them. Um, but to talk to you about it because I think it's it's one of many perfect recipes that breaks down your philosophy of chasing flavor. So first you talk about a tempura batter. And I I knew I liked you for your extraordinary passion and talent, but I liked you more when you wrote and added uh, that you use a good amount of vodka in your tempura batter. Now I really like you. And (laughs) I certainly understand why. It does give you a really crispy coating, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And then... You know, that's an important thing just to note is that every recipe has what we call the takeaway. And the takeaway is either something like the vodka that's scientific, that's teaching people, again, the reason why to do something. I, I hate when I read recipes and it has something, let's call the vodka, and, and, and there's no reason why. So you're reading and saying, oh, there's vodka in there. Well, why? Instead, we're explaining the reason why. Or the, the takeaway of how you roast this meat from this recipe mm-hmm. um, or how you roast a vegetable or anything. So each recipe, we try and find something that that's a takeaway, that's a lesson that's helpful for people. Yes. Um, again, to, to give them these techniques and, and uh, confidence in the kitchen. Yeah, no, it, it, it's a masterclass, really. That's, that's what this book is. Now, the aioli that we've alluded to over and over, there's a secret there. This is where the tell-all comes in. You're all about miso, aren't you? I do. I like miso a lot. Yes. Um, it is one of those things that... Umami um, bomb. Had, texture and, yeah. and umami yeah. and um, you know again a lot of my cooking even though the book isn't a vegetarian book you'll see there's a lot of vegetables in there there's a lot of salads and and I think that um, you know what I like is that by using things like miso and other umami bombs you're able to create something that is a very simple vegetable and make it meaty and interesting and, and exciting to eat I'm very excited by butternut squash fries, just so you know. I, I'm also uh, very much looking forward to parsnip soup with sautéed mushrooms. And you're very forthright about how you cook and how you eat. And I, I love that because I think that, that the book gives us a, a, a sneak peek into you. Um, but you're not a soup guy, really. Like, it has to go with something, you say. Um, I would very happily sit down to a bowl of your parsnip soup with sautéed mushrooms and flaky sea salt finished uh, uh, over the top. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I there's a lot of people out there that just love to dig in a big bowl of soup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily my favorite thing, so when I do have soup or I'm making soup, I, I, I you know, I want to I add things to it. I want to make it that much more exciting. And again, you know, soup is something that, for the most part, uh, I don't think people really pay a lot of attention to the balance of texture. Maybe the flavor, yes, but not necessarily the balance of texture. So here, you know, we're using crispy mushrooms mm. or um, we have a, a, a gazpacho with tomato and raspberry that uh, mm. we have some crunch from cucumbers and, and whole pieces of tomato and raspberry. Um, we have this amazing creamy tomato soup with Parmesan croutons. So, again, we're, we're adding umami into it. We're adding crunch into it. 
texture, spice, all those things. And so mm. even something as simple as a soup, I want it to still have that balance. Yeah, and, and it looks extraordinary, and I'm sure it tastes even better. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late. Chef Dan Kluger is here. His debut cookbook, Chasing Flavor, is an editor's pick on Amazon and being talked about in the industry from this culinary rising star. Uh, I will tell you, it is a master class, the cookbook itself, in uh, sophisticated, beautiful recipes, but the innovation and the lessons in the kitchen that will make you a, a true pro. Um, I love that the book is being touted, Chef, as uh, destined to be a classic. That's the last thing I read. Aside, aside from the praise you have from every big name in the industry that ever lived, too. Uh, it's quite impressive. Um, as are your gnocchi. Very good. Well, yes. Um, tell us about your... Uh, you, you say it's taken a lot of practice. So tell us about your... Uh, your gnocchi education. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I, I, you know, I started making gnocchi when I was at New Square Cafe back in 1995. Um, and Mike Romano, the chef then, was um, sort of an incredible Italian background. And, and he told me how to make gnocchi. But it's one of those ones that, you know, if it's not the middle of summer and you, you don't have fresh tomatoes, it's going to be made with regular tomato sauce. You want to do it with butter and Parmesan, you can do it with butter and Parmesan. But sure. you know, the takeaway is learning how to make mm. um, these gnocchi, but, but also learning to understand a little bit of, you know, why, why are you doing it this way? What is, what is the reasoning for it? Yeah, I love that there's a lesson in it. Do your girls love gnocchi? That is one of their favorite things. That and the, the um, ricotta cavatelli. Ah, uh, yes. Especially my younger one, who she doesn't even eat cheese. She thinks that it is the, the best thing ever. I mean, she eats um, four of our restaurant portions in, in one sitting. Oh, that's very impressive. I, I actually yeah. rabbit-eared that, too. Um, I love that you use Botarga. Um, I've talked about Botarga over the years as one of my sort of secret ingredients. There's a, there's a beautiful presentation I love the theater of Botarga, right? Shaving it yeah, on yeah. a microplane, you know, whether you're at the table, could be your restaurant table or could be your personal dining room table at home. Um, but that's yep. another wonderful takeaway. It's those secret ingredients that allow you to chase flavor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, grilled hanger steak. Sock it to us. I love that you embrace a lesser expensive cut of meat. Um, and as you say, there's only one on the cow, so, you know, you got to get your hands on one, but it's well worth it. Um, this grilled hanger steak with spice, roasted zucchini, and lime yogurt, I am firing up my grill right now. <laughs> yeah, this this one, you know, I, I do like hanger. I like the texture. I like the flavor of it. I do, too. Um, this one certainly would work well with really any cut of steak. It's, it's really more about the sum of its parts. Um, you know, there's a, a little spice to the hanger itself, but... Um, we, we've then taken the zucchini and rubbed it with a spice paste and, and roasted the zucchini so it gets really kind of rich and caramelized. And again, mm. these are things that we're serving alongside the steak, but they are, they are, you know, poppable. You can sit there and just eat them on their own. Um, and then for, for the balance, um, we're adding in, um, the, this yogurt that, that has acidity, it has, creaminess and has richness. Mm. Hanger steak's not an incredibly fatty cut. No. Um, and it balances out the, the spice as well. So, yeah, beautiful. Um, you know, this, this goes back to all that balance. Mm. 
so good. And then do you have a favorite fish dish? It's sort of like asking your favorite child, which that I will not do. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't choose one. I, I was going with grilled salmon, orange marmalade, haricot vert, charred snap peas. Um, but then, I, I don't know, then I saw slow roasted halibut and I got excited. Your, your fish presentations are, they, they jump from the pages. Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't really have an absolute favorite. Mm. I, I really like them all, and they all have sort of sentimental value to, to sure. me. Sure. Um, but I would say that the um, halibut with the peach and tomatoes is one of my favorites, mm. and it's one that, again, has a lot of sentimental value in the sense that people are always asking me, uh, what's the inspiration? You know, how do we come up with cooking? You know, how do we come up with recipes? Sure. And this is one that I kind of constantly go back to, and that um, you know, I knew I needed to change a, a, a fish dish because the seasons were changing, and I was walking through the market, and and I love the farmers market, and I'm always inspired by it. And I'm walking through the market, and at one stand, I pick up um, some some great yellow tomatoes and kind of walking around, get to the next stand, and I pick up some peaches and start thinking, oh, peaches and tomatoes could go really well together. And then I get to the next stand and I pick up, you know, some fennel and then some onions. And, uh, you know, not all those things end up being in this dish, but it was that that means of kind of like picking up these things that uh, I knew would all go well together that then created a dish. Um, so, and, and this one is incredibly well balanced between the, the sauce itself and then the texture of the beans, the almond. Uh, so certainly one of my one of my favorites. Mm. I, they might all turn into my favorites. I have to tell you, this is the most impressive cookbook I have seen. It is the lessons that you teach throughout the book um, that uh, are just so filled with wisdom, um, and the dishes that I cannot wait to duplicate. So kudos to you. Um, this is really a, a work of art. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, all right, you can follow and make sure you stay up on Chef Dan Kluger's uh, gastronomic happenings. Of course, Dan underscore Kluger, K-L-U-G-E-R, will get you to him. And then also Loring Place, L-O-R-I-N-G-P-L-A-C-E-N-Y-C, Loring Place, N-Y-C. Uh, an essential follow. Thank you, Chef. Stay well, and we look forward to dining with you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. The book, Chasing Flavor, don't miss it. Chef Jamie Gwen, be right back. Salud, cheers, and a toast to you, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The modern mixologist is back, so grab a glass because we're sipping and savoring. We know and love Tony Abu Ghanem, of course, as the widely regarded pioneer in the bar world. The author of The Modern Mixologist and Vodka Distilled, both award-winning books, and a partner in the Mandalay Bay Las Vegas gastropub Hotspot Libertine Social and Highlands in Detroit. You've seen him win three Iron Chef competitions on the Food Network, and he's taking us on a cocktail journey again today. We're kicking off 2021 in style, arming you with a wealth of knowledge when it comes to spirits. 
and catching up with Tony Abu Ghanem because he's pouring. Happy New Year to you, my friend. I'm so glad to have you back. Uh, Jamie, Happy <laughs> New Year and always a pleasure to be back on your show. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Under the, sur- the current circumstances, I should say, as they continue, Tony, because we talked at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, when we were seriously pouring, um, and we still are, um, talk to us about how the mixology world has changed. The, the home mixologist has really come to the forefront, no? Oh, absolutely, Jamie. Uh, I'm reminded of when I was a little kid. Hmm. And I would go to my cousin Helen's uh, house up on the lake, and she owned the Brassville Bar. And she had this beautiful bar cart. Hmm. And whenever her girlfriends would come up to play bridge, it wasn't, would you like a glass of white wine or a light beer? It was, can I make you an old-fashioned or right. a Tom Collins? Hmm. And she would have the proper glassware and the tools and the spirits and the garnishes and everything to create these fun, amazing cocktails to share with her friends. I love and that. I really, it, it was, it's so elegant, so yes. refined, and it just, it, it, you know, it elevates the experience. Um, now, Jamie, I know you love a gla- good glass of wine. Um, I do. I love a, <laughs> a cold IPA, but there's so much uh, more when you're able to craft a great mojito or a fresh margarita mm-hmm. for your friends. No, oh, it's true. Stop over. No, I agree with you. And and even if you're mastering the technique of your favorite cocktail because you have more time on your hands, right? Or you're crafting a signature house cocktail, whatever it is. I think those that uh, love and appreciate spirits have taken to their home bar or set up a bar or uh, gathered the best and the right tools. And I think we have made for... Uh, more impressive mixology at home. And I think there's something to be said for it, like you talked about, the elegance of it, but also the beauty of savoring it, right? Maybe we've had a little more time to really dig deeper into the cocktail of choice, you name it. What has been your most sipped cocktail over the pandemic, Tony? Just back up and and kind of reinforce what you said. As you know, I have uh, designed uh, and marketed a set of professional bar tools. Yes, I have them all. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, But we have seen such an increase in demand and sales on our bar tools online uh, during this pandemic. So I guess a somewhat silver lining for our company. Of course. um, it's, uh, it, you know, what you were saying is kind of a theme. I mean, if I'm going to make myself one drink, and especially if I'm going to share it virtually with you, it's got to be a Negroni. I knew um, you were going to say that. <laughs> and wait, ever since years back, you taught us to make the perfect Negroni. You would be so proud to know that that has been the one cocktail at home when I have had time, when Jagger is down to sleep at night if I really wanted to, to indulge, right, if I wanted to, to give myself a little self-care, I made a Negroni, I still do, and I, I honored you. And I have to tell you, it was, it is, it was, it still continues to be so satisfying. So true, Jamie. And, and like I said, when you elevate that experience, I mean, sure, you can grab an old jam jar, throw it 
fill it up with that ice that your ice maker makes in the freezer that's all white and cloudy. <laughs> Pour the booze in and a slice of orange or whatever citrus you might have laying around, and it's fine. But if you have a, a crystal mixing beaker and a long-handed twistle bar spoon and a Hawthorne yes. strainer and all of the accoutrements in a beautiful crystal fashion glass and you're mm. able to make some beautiful two-by-two two crystal clear ice cubes in your true cube ice cube maker um, <laughs> it just again it just bumps up that experience yeah, and when does. you finally peel off a swath of orange and expel those oils on top mm. gratification and and you can create it at home um, especially when we have yeah, your best tools. I'm sending everyone to themodernmixologist.com. Themodernmixologist.com. You can find Tony's cocktail escapades, his bar tools, his uh, best tips for making great cocktails, and more, of course. And you can follow him on social media at MDRN. MDRN mixologist, of course. Cheers, Tony. Please come back, talk to us. Um, As we get through this pandemic, I'd really love to talk about uh, how the bar scene comes back. Please. It's always a pleasure, Jamie. Thank you. Love our talks. I do too. Your lips to God here that we'll be (laughs) serving drinks across the bar and sharing cheer and joy side by side very soon. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of truly delicious flavor, uh, creative cocktails, and glorious conversation. Well, at least I hope you thought so. I love this show. I've loved it for so many years, and I can't wait till next weekend when I get to share lots more gastronomic inspiration in your radio. But I'll leave you with this for this week, my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of uh, culinary conversation for the hour. Did you know that chicken is the most requested recipe on the World Wide Web? Yes. If you're looking for a new chicken recipe, I have one. It is four ingredients, not including salt and pepper. And there's something really juicy and delicious about it because it's chicken breasts, or I like to use um, skinless chicken thighs. I find them juicy and delicious. Lemon juice, feta cheese, and dried oregano, and then salt and pepper, of course. You bake it simply, and I have to tell you, it is a lifesaver dish, I call it, because it's a hit every time, and it's just so simple. So please, go to Chef Jamie Gwen on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I will post the recipe so that you can steal it. I call it lemon feta chicken, and you'll see it there can't wait to hear how yours turns out and please do meet me here next weekend when there is the promise of so much more good food and wine and cocktails i'm chef jamie gwen in your radio and i thank you for listening please stay healthy wear a mask and continue to eat well (laughs) 